Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something. Something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiaki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiaki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a place where science and magic come together to transform fact into evolving truth. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring the circle of life. My daughter, Laura, is a master falconer. 
one summer, she and I were teaching my shamanic arts school's wordless program in the Colorado Rockies. Laura had brought her red-tailed hawk, Takaya, and her young golden retriever, Gleska. My 14-year-old golden, Naji was with us as well. One early morning, Laura and I were in the cook tent preparing breakfast for the students. Takaya was seated on her perch, happily preening, and my old retrieval was vole hunting. I didn't pay Naji much mind, as she was old, slow, and virtually toothless. The chances of her actually catching anything were slim to none, and the hunting activity entertained her. Laura's golden, never far from her mistress, was asleep under the portable table. Suddenly, there was a flurry of activity. Against all odds, old Naji had caught a vole. Gleska ran over to investigate. Naji proudly shook the vole to show off her prowess. Drop, I commanded. Naji complied, dropping the hapless rodent. Fetch, Laura instructed Gleska, who promptly picked up the bowl and gently carried it to her mistress. Laura carefully inspected the bowl, finding it still twitching but damaged beyond repair. She prayed over it, offering gratitude for its sacrifice, before tossing it to the red tail. Takaya leaped from her perch, pounced on the bowl, dispatched it with her sharp talons, and proceeded to enjoy her unexpected breakfast. Naji went back to hunting, Gleska curled up under the table, Laura added raisins to the oatmeal, and I continued making coffee. Then we heard a whimper from the side of the cook tent. One of the younger female students stood there, mess kit in hand, pale and wan, eyes wide. Laura, Gleska, and I looked at her like, what? The student swallowed loudly, blinked rapidly, and bravely said, I guess I still have to get used to the circle of life. Process is inherent in life. It can be found at every level of existence. On the physical level, it's through process that we break down our food to extract the nutrients which sustain our physical lives. When we die, the same process that sustains us breaks down our bodies to be reabsorbed by the earth and recycled as nutrients for other living things. We eat to survive. When we die, we feed the very things that fed us during our lifetime. Well, that's the design. All life works within this framework. Humans, however, have lost contact with the natural order to the point that we're destroying the very environment that sustains us. If we cannot honor the circle of life, take in only what we need with gratitude, and readily let go of what no longer serves, we've basically impeded the natural order and become unprocessed and toxic. This is a disease rampant on all levels of our lives. We live in fear of lack, collecting and hoarding well beyond our needs or the planet's ability to sustain us. We're so caught up in the artificial world of concrete politics, media, and electronics, so attached to our so-called comforts that we've forgotten how to enjoy a sunrise, or for that matter, notice it. Many of our children don't even know in which direction the sun comes up. We've forgotten that we are an integral part of the organism called Earth, and that all other aspects of our planet are equally as necessary and important to the whole. Nature is not something to conquer or exploit, but a cyclic flow that will sustain us as long as we're one with the current of life. Nothing can live outside of the natural order for long before nature makes a correction. We're in the middle of such a correction whereby our systems are failing, reality crumbling, and we're killing each other off. It's time to re-enter the circle of life before we destroy ourselves and our world. Our guest this hour, Mary Reynolds Thompson, author of Embrace Your Inner Wild and Reclaiming the Wild Soul, is an emerging leader in the spiritual ecology movement. 
an echo coach and facilitator of poetry and journal therapy. She speaks and teaches internationally on connecting to the natural world as a first step to reclaiming the power and creativity of our authentic, untamed selves. She's an instructor for the echo feminist organization, Tree Sisters. After this commercial break, I'll introduce Mary, and together we'll explore the wonderful, wild, natural world and our rightful place in it, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Prior innovative episodes can always be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado-certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th, Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com.
Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Mary Reynolds Thompson, author of Embrace Your Inner Wild and Reclaiming the Wild Soul. Her website, www.maryreynoldsthompson.com. Mary, thank you for joining us on the Science of Magic. It's a pleasure to be here, Gwilda. What exactly is spiritual ecology movement? <laughs> Good question. It's really beginning to re-embed our spiritual feelings and yearnings back into the earth again. So like so many things, our spirituality has been sort of uprooted from the earth. But for most of human history, it was very much a part of our praise and gratitude for the natural world around us. So really the spiritual ecology movement is saying spirit lives in nature. Hmm, that's very interesting. It sounds rather shamanic of you. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, it, definitely. It, the spiritual ecology movement is definitely a sort of modern take on indigenous wisdom, no doubt about it. So what's an echo coach? Really, it's somebody who is trying, as I am, to reconnect people to the natural world as aspects of who they are. And so you have people who are ecotherapists. You have now a lot of people working to begin to have humans begin to recognize this deep and primary relationship that we have with the natural world and that you express so beautifully in the setup that we are part of this cycle of life. And, um, and to begin to reflect very deeply on what that means for us and our behaviors and our creativity and our state of mind and all the many things that really begin to shift and change when we begin to see ourselves as part of the world and not separate from it. So uh, is it a formal body of study, echo coach and echo therapy? Well, no, it's interesting, actually. Very few people use the word eco coach. I happen to call myself one because um, I am trained as a coach and my work is in the field of eco-psychology. But eco-psychology and spiritual ecology are definitely two movements that are really beginning to gain ground. Um, so eco-psychology is actually a term that was coined by Theodore Rozak to try and bring together the therapist and psychology philosophies with the environmental movement, with an understanding that environmentalists need to work with shifting people's consciousness. And eco and therapists need to recognize that we are living in these very precarious times where people are bringing anxieties and stresses that are directly related to the fact that we are destroying the planet. Mm. So it's really about being able to look at the state 
of our inner nature, the health of humans' inner nature, and the health of our planet within the same realm as opposed to separately. Well, we see the same symptoms, don't we? What's going on on the planet itself and what's going on in our bodies because of uh, detaching from the natural order of life. We do, and it's in a way it's easier to see the physical connections between ourselves and the body of the earth, right? So we are really beginning to understand that when we pour toxins into the airs and the rivers and the topsoil, that we, those toxins find their way back into our bodies. I mean, we really are beginning to understand that. What I think is less apparent is how the wounding of the earth is also the wounding of the human soul or psyche. In other words, that living on a diminished planet has psychological consequences. When and why do you think human beings detached um, or decided that we're separate from nature? A lot of good reasons for that. And, you know, some people trace it back all the way back to 10,000 years ago and the agricultural revolution when we began to sort of control the, the earth and its cycles and when we began to move actually into illiterate, you know, we began to, to have language and symbols. And so it was this sort of beginning to move more into the abstract world and less connected to the earth. But I think the real pivotal moment, I think people were still connected 10,000 years ago and 8,000 years ago and 6,000 years ago, but I think it was really the age of enlightenment that the 17th century that really shifted us completely into this mindset that we humans were somehow separate and superior to the earth. And I think a lot of that thinking came out of the new scientists. We know about Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And he said, really, the only reality is that we human beings know that we think and therefore we're really the only thing that matters and everything else is a sort of backdrop to the human drama. But also we had just come out of this period of the Black Plague, which had literally run riot throughout Europe, and people blamed the natural world. There mm. was this feeling that nature was not benign, that it was somehow malevolent and um, evil. And so we had to separate ourselves from that because we were the enlightened ones. We were the good ones. We were the ones heading for the light of human consciousness, and we were better than. Um, and we've stayed there. You know, the records got stuck. The needle is stuck in that groove. And even today, that's the sort of belief that we have been birthed into and raised on whether we know it or not. And most people aren't aware of it, but it's so much of the the way that we approach our environment. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought up the Black Plague because that was a horrific time. And it was touched by Everyone felt unsafe. Uh, everyone lost ones. There was a lot of emotional pain going on. Do you think that that added to the detach? Gwilda, you, your voice went in and out for me there. I... Yes, I think Gwilda, that I have I lost you. Are you there? I am here. For some reason, you're going in and out on me. 
Okay, we're kind of losing our connection. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay, we will continue. Uh, so I said during the Black Plague, everyone uh, had a lot of emotional um, trauma going on, losing loved ones, being afraid of nature itself. Do you think that that caused people also to shut down in the heart and go more towards the mind? I, I think that's something that can't be proved, but I think it it absolutely would make sense. And I think it really... It, I think that whole sense of patriarchy, of control and domination, of taking what we feared and pinning it down, absolutely developed during that period. Um, so in other words, we weren't going to let something happen to us. We were now going to put literally, quote unquote, nature on the rack and torture her for all her secrets. That's what happened. Okay, so in other words, figure out why this happened and try to control it so it doesn't. Right, and just literally almost punish, and it's very interesting if you think about it, because this was also the age of the great witch hunts. So notice that the wild feminine and the wild earth were both put under the rack, tortured for her secrets, and somehow considered to be malevolent, as I said before, that there was some evil and badness that had to be discovered and drawn out so that bad things would not happen. So this is why they, when we decided that nature needed to be conquered rather than blended with? Absolutely. Really dominated. Um, absolutely. No longer partnered with. No longer seen as sacred, but as something that would destroy us unless we got control of it. And that's one thing that I've noticed is people are afraid of nature, particularly women are taught to be afraid of nature. It seems so bizarre. Well, you know, I was once speaking to this lovely young man who in the summer months takes inner city kids out into nature and I, in this incredibly naive way, said, oh, they must have just loved it. And they said, he said to me, no, they were terrified. Now, these kids came from the real urban ghetto where being shot was a daily risk, where there was a lot of violence on the streets. And yet they were more terrified of walking in the woods than they were of living in a very dangerous urban environment. You know, uh, again, I have a shamanic art school and I teach a lot of wilderness programs because it's my belief that getting back to nature is the only way we can get back to ourselves and, and actually turn things around. And I've experienced the same thing. People, you know, they think nothing of driving on I-25, but walking in the woods, they think they're going to die around the next bush. I know. It's really interesting. And of course, just, and you hear, I mean, it's very interesting. I'm always following how news reports things. So... You know, if a tree branch falls and hurts somebody, it is all hell breaks loose, to be honest with you. I mean, you have community people who are outraged because the trees haven't had this done to them or they haven't been pollarded or they haven't this. And there's all this like we now need to cut down all the trees, whereas we have all other manner of things going on that take people's lives, you know 
from poisoning us to, you know, as you said, driving on the freeway, on and on and on. But you don't hear the protest. So there's this idea that somehow, and you brought that up so beautifully in um, your first section, that nature should be all benign, all romantic, all perfect, and never do any harm. But if it does, we're going to hang on to that one thing that happened, and we're going to terrify everybody with it so that kids can't go out and just play and be in the woods anymore because they're so frightened that something's going to happen to them. Well, I'd trust my kids out in the woods more than I would on a city street in this day and age, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, I would. And I think that's why I love so much the work of Richard Louvre, Last Child in the Woods, where he really talks about, you know, I'm just turned 60, lo and behold. But, you know, I grew up in central London. And you think, <laughs> you know, well, we're, we're going to have to... We're going to have to talk about central London on the other side of this break, Mary. <laughs> Mary, okay. and I, Mary and I will return to our discussion after this short break. You're listening to The Science of Magic on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Previous broadcasts of thought-provoking episodes can always be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. We will be back, so don't you go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free.
While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Mary Reynolds Thompson, author of Embrace Your Inner Wild and Reclaiming the Wild Soul. You're about to tell me about your growing up years there. I hmm. was. Um, I grew up in London, uh, central London, and um, you know, I had a lot of freedom there. I mean, I wandered around. I played in the parks by myself. I... My girlfriends and I would go over to a park called Holland Park and we would wait until dusk. And when um, night was falling, they would ring a bell. And um, that was the sign that the park was closing down. And so we would wait as long as we could until we knew the moment when they would lock the um, park gates. And it was so exciting. I mean, we, you know, we were in the shadow of the great chestnut trees and the twilight descending and the darkness, and it was thrilling to us. And, you know, nowadays, I think kids would, wouldn't be allowed to do that. But so there was so much more freedom in a way to just be out there, to explore, to live in the imagination. And so one's imagination and the sort of nature and landscape around us sort of became interwoven and it became the place that we played and created stories and, um, you know, spoke to trees and had magic enchanted little nooks and crannies that we visited that felt like they were just pure magic to us. So there was this 
deep bonding. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. That was going on between our environments and, and who we were and how we began to feel ourselves and feel our way into the world. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, our imagination is the place where shamanically we get information. And so when you're out in nature and you're you're energetically communing with the spirit of nature, the trees, the this, the that, it shows up in your imagination sometimes as gnomes and fairies and this sort of thing. Children, if they're isolated from the natural world, it seems like that gets stunted. And so what do you see as the adverse effects of this perceived separation that we've growing up with now? Well, I just think it's very pervasive. Um, there are so many kids who are struggling to feel alive, to feel embodied, to feel comfortable in their bodies. They sit for hours in front of screens they're more comfortable with the virtual world. And of course, the virtual world doesn't have any of the discomforts of the natural world either. It doesn't have insects and you don't get hot and sweaty and, you know, or get scratched or all of those things, but it doesn't have any of the gifts and joys. And I think one of the biggest things is this sense of loneliness and isolation that so many children feel. Um, because they don't feel part of the world about them. If you are deeply connected to your environment, you are never alone. And I think a lot of the sort of depression that we see in children, that sort of flat effect, is because they aren't being nurtured and raised by nature. Their parents are busy working, um, struggling to make ends meet, and they don't have this other thing, which is I really felt mothered by the earth growing up, that this was another place where I could go and share my secrets and my fears and gain strength lying on the grass, smelling the earth, the sweetness held me just as surely as my mother's arms held me. But mm. kids don't have that anymore. What do you think we can learn about ourselves from nature? I think we learn who we are. I mean, it's really, I think, one of the biggest and most extraordinary things is that we wouldn't be human the way that we know ourselves to be human if we had emerged from a different kind of planetary body. Um, a very wise eco-theologian called Thomas Berry said, imagine how 
desolate our imaginations would be if we had emerged out of the moon. So we learn about our own creativity, imagination, spirituality when we go back to the earth because all of those things emerged out of the earth. Without great mountains, we wouldn't know what it was to aspire to great heights. Without the rootedness of trees, we wouldn't understand what it was to stand strong in your being. I mean, all of these things, all of human culture was built on the earth. The earth is primary. So we can't know ourselves unless we know the earth. And in that, you were starting to touch in on how you see creativity and independent expression as being affected by our connection with nature, or lack thereof. Would you go into that a little more for us? Yes. I think, you know, humans came into self-reflective consciousness, this ability which is, we believe, unique to humans, the self-reflective, not consciousness. Consciousness is all things have consciousness, but self-reflective consciousness during what was called the Cenozoic period, which was really the great flourishing of the planet. So we woke up in this sense of abundance, color, flowers, greenery, insects, birds, I mean, just this amazing vibrancy of nature. The reason we are such creative human beings is because our consciousness is deeply connected to the great conscious creativity of this planet that we bore witness to when we first woke up to this, oh my goodness, the stars in the sky, the river rushing. And we went, isn't this amazing? It has music and sound and beauty and color. And it lifted us up and inspired us into our own depths of creativity. Mm. Do you think our separation from the natural world lends us more exploitable by the systems at large? (laughs) Yes, I do. I'm laughing because I think that that's so true. And I think so so few people actually name it. If we say that the earth is not really real, it's just the backdrop for this human drama, that we don't really need it, We have lost contact with reality. And when you have lost contact with reality, there is a void into which all kinds of garbage can come. And that's what's happening now. We are consuming on the metaphoric level and the literal level garbage. Mm. Boy, isn't that the truth. And the political. Yes. There's a lot of political garbage flying around out there. We have a lot of political garbage. I'd call it something else, but not on the air. So there you have Right, right. So, so, Mary, what do you mean by the wild soul? It's that part of us that really knows that we are creatures of the earth, that we are connected, that we are part of a living, breathing sentient earth community and it's a part of us that was wounded when we separated from the earth that our wild souls rather like a wounded animal sort of went off you know not knowing um what to do with itself because it it had lost its place and so 
I feel that our, one of our tasks at this moment in our sort of planetary evolution is to... You still there, Mary? Yes, I am. Is to return the wild soul to us, to begin to acknowledge this aspect of us that is deeply embedded in the earth. So it's almost like an alter ego at this point because we're so separate from it? I think it's, I don't know that I would call it that. I'm not sure. I mean, that's really interesting that you put it that way. I just see it as a deep aspect of the self that is hurting and wounded and needs attention. How do you feel our disconnection from this part of ourselves and from the natural world has impacted uh, the planet itself? If we don't realize that the earth is primary and that we are secondary, that we emerged out of the earth, then what happens is we get into this insane thinking that we can do anything to the earth and somehow we'll be so clever that we'll get away without any consequences because the earth is just there to do our bidding and it's just there for us and it's just there for, for our use and we think of it as a resource rather than a relation and we can see where it's headed i mean we're, we're literally threatening our ability as humans to continue living on this planet because we don't think of the earth as primary so it's like uh where are we going to move to <laughs> well do you know you've got all these techno can I call them techno-nutters? <laughs> you have a lot of techno-nutters who are spending fortunes on envisioning us all living off on some planet up in the sky. And I don't know why would we want to do that. It's like you live in the most beautiful home that anybody could ever have imagined. It's exquisite. It's wonderful. And you don't want to take care of it. It just makes no sense. Well, it strikes me like somebody that lives in an apartment or a house until until they can't stand it anymore, but they don't clean it, and they just move to another one. Right, exactly. They just absolutely trash it and move on. And, of course, we humans did that. We've trashed so many places on the planet and moved on, but there's no on anymore. Do you know what I mean? There's no, <laughs> where are we going to move? There's no new frontier that we can go and exploit and pollute, which is why everybody's going mad about technology because it's like, oh, that's a place we can plunder and dream and that's the next frontier. But I think we need, we need some technologies. I'm not a Luddite. But what we really need to do is put the natural world front and center where it belongs. You know, the technology just came out of the natural world, really, yes? Absolutely it is. Everything that we sort of invent, number one, is made of something that came out of the earth, but also was inspired because our creativity and imaginations are earth-born. And so we get actually get the model for the things that we create and worship from the model of the Earth herself. We do, and it's interesting because you can feel like the longing for connection that exists now in the online world, right? Mm -hmm. So that sense of communion and connection. But the thing is, it's not a real connection. Um, it's not that deep, amazing connection of people embedded in place in community with each other in person, face-to-face. -face. 
it's not that it's wrong, but it's a facsimile. It's not yeah. the real thing. Well, we're going to have to take another one of those wonderful breaks, Mary, and we will be back on the flip side of this commercial break, at which time I'd like to talk about this disconnection as it relates to addictions. Mary and I will be back on the flip side of this commercial break. You're listening to The Science of Magic on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, the place where altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric create common ground for the betterment of our world. You can always listen to previous transformative broadcasts on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune in to Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with Spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. 
This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Mary Reynolds Thompson. She's the author of Embrace Your Inner Wild and Reclaiming the Wild Soul. Before we went on break, Mary, I promised people that we would discuss what this disconnection that we have all been suffering from our planet and our wild selves, how, does this, how do you think this relates to um, addictions? Well, I think, in a way we are thirsting for spirit. I know for myself, I am actually have, uh, have been in recovery for over 30 years. So I'll speak very personally to this, is I feel that I always wanted 
to be tapped into a certain kind of wildness. And by that I mean in the ability to be free, to be natural, to be um, inspirited, to um, just be full of life, juicy green life. And when I was a kid, I got that through connecting to nature, but that was sort of blocked to me as I grew up. And so I began to look for that in alcohol. And that was my particular drug of choice. And because it liberated me, because it made me feel alive, because it made me feel as if I was free to be myself. So I, I feel deeply that a lot of what we long for in this is really the sense of aliveness. And if we don't get it through connecting to the natural world, we're going to find it in other less healthy ways. So for me, a huge part of my recovery was recovering myself through connecting to nature again. Yeah, there's a um, program up here. I'm in the Colorado Rockies on the Arkansas River. And there's a program they run up here called uh, Rivers of Recovery. And what, what they do is they bring in... Um, uh, vets with PTSD, and I uh, was volunteering my time with them and, and was cooking for them. But it was amazing to see the difference from when they arrived to when they'd spent a couple days out rafting or on the river or just fishing. It was it was hugely different. And I mean, I saw these people breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I could just see the evolution, uh, the change happening in them. It's, it's just amazing, isn't it? There is. There's a wonderful poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. And he talks in the poem about when you're really troubled in yourself and in the world, you know, go amongst the wild things. And it's really speaking to that deep level of peace we can find when we're out in nature, which is also part of aliveness, by the way. It may feel very different, but I think that we confuse stimulation for a sense of feeling peacefully alive. They're very different things, though, aren't they? They're very different things. And I think we live in a culture that really um, promotes and pimps stimulation at the expense of that deep abiding sense of belonging and peace and resiliency that can come when we feel at home in our world. You know, I think I think the stimulation is another addiction because it distracts us from that longing that we have caused by the disconnection. Is that what you're seeing there? Absolutely. I think we're being distracted to death, quite honestly, <laughs> because we're not paying attention anymore. We really are not being awake because, you know, and I feel it myself. I'm so not immune to this. I mean, I get onto the social networks and I can lose so much time just in stuff that is meaningless, really, at the end of the day. And so, I mean, I really understand um, how many distractions we have and how many distractions kids have nowadays and how much screen time they're spending um, and they are addicted you know you try and take a kid away from their you know cell phone and all hell will break out you know because they're completely addicted to their techno toys right exactly and and what what sneaks up on them with the toys taken away is that deep longing that hurts so bad when you don't know how to fill it it's just it's pretty scary um, you know, we um, before we run out of time, would you mind telling the listeners where they can find your books? Yeah, I'd be delighted. Um, hopefully in bookstores, um, 
pretty much, you know, in America, please go into your independent bookstore and ask for it if they don't have it there. Obviously on Amazon. Um, and, um, yeah, really in the, those two ways. And you can read about um, my books if you want to by going to my website, which you mentioned, maryreynoldsthompson.com. Perfect. Um, you know, it would appear, Mary, that we're living in a bit of a conundrum right now between our lifestyles, sheer numbers, and the pres- preservation of the natural world. What do you see as a solution? You know, it's so interesting. I don't think we live in a solution world anymore. I think we live in a world that is full, that, that there's a predicament. So there isn't one solution For me, the area I've chosen to concentrate on is this shift of consciousness from people who think of themselves as separate to the earth as people who really get their oneness with the earth, Um, how everything we do to the earth, we ultimately do to ourselves. But there are so many people doing extraordinary work in all kinds of ways. Some of them are literally to stop you know, the worst things happening, they're, they're on the front lines fighting for things. There are people doing local organic growing, gardening. I mean, that's the good news. There are millions of grassroots organizations working towards trying to shift away from this sort of modern industrial paradigm into one where we are living in um, kinship and sustainable ways with the earth. Um, but my focus is really on that primary shift of consciousness. So are you saying it's each of us in our own way can contribute, but the outcome is not yet seen? <laughs> I think you said that very beautifully. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I think it's incredibly important that we do what we are deeply passionate about um, and not to feel obligated to do X, Y, Z, but to really trust to our own wild souls, to ask ourselves, if I were to live in loving relationship with this great planetary being, what would be my part in it? What's my story? What am I called forth to do? And to take time to think about that. What are your gifts? Where do the gifts in you meet the needs of the world? And to find the juice in that place. And then just take that first brave step and do something. That's beautifully put, Mary. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, it seems like we all, you know, people are either wanting to move forward into more industrialization, into more uh, technological solutions, and others want to go back into the indigenous times. And we can't really do either. What we need is a third way of being in the world. Can you speak to that? Yes, I think that that's really true, and I think that's where we're sort of questioning, is that you're right, we can't replicate what was. And where we're headed in this sort of techno-utopianism ideal is terrifying, you know, robots, and I mean, it's just crazy world. So what is that? And I think we don't know. What I think is true is to do less rather than more. So right now we're just throwing all this stuff out there about what we're supposed to do. What I'd like to see is more this careful quietening. First thing is do no harm. Really begin to look at what are some of the worst, most egregious behaviors that we're doing. 
that we can stop? Then what are some of the things that seem to be working and healing? And oftentimes it's about less, less people on the planet, less meat eating, less this. It's not about doing more. It's about buying less, doing less, owning less. And people don't want to hear that because we've been so also addicted to this idea of more, more, and more. And what if it was about a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less? It's a hard message to get through. But otherwise, we find ourselves starving amongst plenty, don't we? (laughs) Yes, we do. And I feel that there's so much pain in the world. I mean, it's really, yeah, and I think we're starving some people are literally starving, and but we are all starving because we are not being nourished. And that's the reality, is our way of life is not nourishing, even for the people, the 1%. Ultimately, it's not nourishing. No, we've gotten so away from the na- far away from the natural order, the way food should be grown and everything else, that we literally aren't getting nourished on any level at this point, I'm afraid. No, we're not. Not spiritually not psychologically, not physically. Um, And it's so simple. I mean, I see things like these wonderful forest schools now where they take these marvelous little robust kindergartens, rain or shine, and they throw them into the forest and say, go play. And these (laughs) little spirits just grow strong and they create and they imagine and they, you know, they just, they're full of life and they're rosy cheeked and they're hungry for good nourishing food and they sing songs and they help each other and they find their own particular talents because they're not being forced to cram down. I don't Beautiful. Know, you know, Mary, yeah, time flies and we're out of it, Mary. Thank you so <laughs> much for being with us. <laughs> Wilbur, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Our guest this hour has been Mary Reynolds-Thompson, author of Embrace Your Inner Wild and Reclaiming the Wild Soul. Her website, maryreynoldsthompson.com. This has been the Science of Magic. Remember, you can always listen to past thought-provoking episodes on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you re-enter the circle of life. Searching through Searching for the light One people, one nation